It's June 18th, 2022. This is Game Older with CivilFritz.net. Andy, you beat a game. I did. What what game did you beat? Build a Twilight Princess. <laughs> how, how many games have you beaten now? Oh, not that many. Are there others? Can you think of others that you've, you've finished that you feel like you did? Riven. Riven? Okay, That's right. probably my proudest one. Okay. Prouder than, than Zelda Twilight Princess? Yeah, probably. Okay. A little bit. It was a very particular season where I, where I beat that. And... We've we've talked about this a bit already, of course, but uh, how long did it take you to to finish Zelda Twilight Princess? Well, it depends on if we're counting from the very first time I played it or the first time I really tried to beat it. For the purposes of the joke, let's call it from the first time you, you tried to finish it. From the first time I tried... To really beat it, like the summer I remember playing it was a uh, summer after my sophomore year of college, uh, which would have been 2007. Yeah. So it's been a Ugh. while. <laughs> Th- uh, things are different now. 15 years. Yes. And I had played it before then, too. I had started a different save game before then. I just wasn't. I didn't have expectations sure. maybe that first time. Okay. So I, I'm sure we've talked about uh, The Legend of Zelda as a series and a concept in our past, uh, in past recordings. Oh, but, most definitely. But just let, let's, let's lay, lay some groundwork here. What is your first memory of The Legend of Zelda series? Um, my very first memory... My strong, let's say my strongest memory okay. is of uh, watching it on a, or, or taking her as playing it with other kids on a screen at Walmart, which is honestly what a lot of my early video game experiences were. Um, we had Game Boys, and you know what? We had Game Boys and a Super Nintendo at that point, so I had definitely played Link to the Past. Not Link to the Past, sorry. Uh, that'd Wind be the Waker. Super Nintendo one. No, that, Wind Waker would be GameCube. Not Wind Waker. Which one am I thinking of? I'll delete all that. What, which one Link's Awakening. Link's Awakening. Okay. Link's Awakening and Oracle Seasons. I definitely played by that point. Okay. I had to have, I think. Maybe some of this timeline is getting mixed up. Anyway, so I did play through a lot of Link's Awakening, but I re- very strongly remember watching Ocarina of Time at Walmart. It was a popular Walmart demo kiosk yeah. uh, staple in our particular portions of the Midwest, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, Isaac and I, we got video game systems and games after everyone most of the time. So, you know, we had to kind of see them as we could when they were new. And 
That was just the most common place we saw most things was at Walmart. So you're you're considering the the Walmart demo kiosk Ocarina of Time station thing to be kind of your your strongest initial memory. Is that right? Or, or is it the Game Boy ones that you were playing before? Still my strongest like emotional memory. Okay. And why is that? It was this unattainable thing. I just felt like, oh, we won't be able to do that. It's so cool, but it's on this system that we don't have. There's no way we can ask our parents to get us. And, um, you know, I just replayed that opening forest bit over and over and over again right. at Walmart. Yep. And I kept falling off of everything because, like, navigating through that 3D space was so different than anything else we'd done. And we were so bad at it that it was comical. It is really interesting to think just about the the mechanics of game control and how they've evolved since then. Even going back mm-hmm. to play that game feels awkward still. Oh, it because, sucks because of the camera control. Yeah, because everything is so different now. I'm kind of surprised that... I guess I haven't played the 3DS remake of it, but I think that it still expects you to have like a Z-target um, uh, center the camera behind the character to look around kind of thing. I don't think it... I don't even know if it supports There's the optional no right camera. stick because the, the 3DS has an optional like right stick accessory that you can add, um, but I don't know whether it supports that or not. Yeah, I think that might be the single thing that makes that game feel unplayable to me now. So you did eventually get to play Ocarina of Time. Yes. Um, my brother actually got really industrious and started mowing lawns, and he bought it for himself. That was the first system that, you know, nobody bought for us. You know, I didn't do any work. I was definitely living vicariously through my brother, but he mowed a bunch of lawns, and he bought his own N64, and Ocarina of Time, and... Um, Super Mario 64, and it was just this amazing thing. So I, we, we've both played lots of Zelda games or, or have lots of Zelda in our history. Why why this game or this series? Why, why does it matter to you? Like, why was it Zelda and not Mario 64 if your brother got both of those? It is up there with a couple of other games in my mind. Um but it was like, it was Zelda and it was Final Fantasy to me because those were the ones that we played that had real stories in them, that had a world that felt like it mattered and it wasn't just, you know, do you have the Twitch reflexes to make this happen? Because, you know, my reflexes have never been that great. I can't do that kind of twitchy game super well. Never kept up with it, but... But Zelda and Final Fantasy, because they emphasized story and these other quests, and you didn't you didn't really need to be um, that great at the coordination of playing it. And 
it was more about a dedication to the story and finding the puzzles. Yeah, to some Zelda certainly the puzzles. Final Fantasy was was more about just being willing to put in the time. Some of it was about figuring out the bosses and the strategies. Um, that's probably a lot of it. Is that they they were more focused on, um using your mind to explore something than necessarily just your fingers or your reaction time. And that felt really accessible to me. And um, Zelda just seems so big. It had this lore and this history to it. I, I still remember the cutscenes from Ocarina of Time and that music, that like twinkling kind of haunting music behind it where they talk about, you know, the the gods imbuing the Triforce with power. And I I had never really experienced that in a game. And, you know, I was a big fan of all kinds of stories. I was a huge reader and I liked movies, but that, that unique experience of being able to live in a story and play it was so wonderful. And that is something that Mario just didn't have as much. It was still just a game but to actually move through the story and be the one doing it was just dreamy. Like, why wouldn't you want to do that? If you are a big story person, it's it's the absolute best of both worlds. It's the details of the novel and the visuals of a movie. And then this other element that, that nothing else had where you got to be the one making the choices. And, and you know, there's there's limited choice, but still. Like you get to be the one taking action, deciding the story would progress or not. And yeah. it's, yeah, th- those are the first two games that taught me about that. I, you know, when I was a kid, I made the argument more about Final Fantasy um, to my parents that video games weren't just toys and games. It was something more like reading. Oh, yeah. And I... I, in retrospect, I am baffled that I made that comparison as a kid because the original Final Fantasy, which is the game I would have been talking about, really is not much like that. And it becomes more like that later as well, games developed. They literally are about reading. There's just not much of gabs it. Gabs and gabs. Yeah, not in the, the first Yeah, one. The, the first one never has more than a single text box. But I didn't experience Final Fantasy until Final Fantasy VII. Ah, so, so you but, know. but the 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 thing that they do have both of those and even all the way to the first zelda is that that willing suspension of disbelief where you think of you think of an imagined reality and operate within it mm-hmm. and i think that's a really useful skill that we we think of books as largely a literary exercise but there really is also this kind of disembodied spatial reasoning part of it especially for fiction and uh, games explore a version of that that's more tactile than literary. And I think that's very interesting. And, you know, you're, you're talking about that a little bit with Zelda, that it lets you explore a world in a way that you couldn't any other way or in any other medium. And even yeah. Mario, it, Mario 64 didn't do that because of its kind of uh, segmented level design. 
It's much more efficient. Mario is about levels. You play levels. There isn't a whole lot of set dressing or storytelling or that kind of thing. Which, you know, I think we've talked about this before. One of the weird, you know, what if uh, alternate universes is that the original plan for Ocarina of Time was that, that you would have Hyrule Castle be a hub world and there would be, uh, there would be transport things very much like the the paintings in mario 64 i'm so glad it wasn't but it was you know technical limitations they weren't certain what to do nobody had ever done anything like that before and so you know they they eventually figured out that they could do a big seemingly open world that just felt natural instead of having these contrived uh gateways to other portions of the game there's dumb stuff in it like not every moment of that game is trying to get towards your goal you can mow the grass and I guess you get rupees out of that, whatever. But so I was just remembering. So have you ever read the Ramona Quimby books? Can you give a title? Uh, Ramona Quimby, age eight. It's a oh, no. Judy Bloom no. book series. There's a scene. I when thought she's... you were giving me an author's name. And... No, 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 no. no. Okay. There's yeah. a scene when she's she's in kindergarten, I think. Oh, man, I forget which one of the Ramona books these are. Uh, this is. But she they're reading a story together and Ramona goes, well, how did they go to the bathroom? Where was the bathroom? And the story and the teacher says, it's not about that. <laughs> and I was that kid. I was like, yeah, I want to know that too. I might not have asked it like Ramona, but I'm thinking about the mundane things. Like I want to know a little bit more, what it was like to be in their shoes. And you know, a good story will do that, but they don't talk about the dumb stuff. And Zelda was the first game I played where there was dumb stuff. Like you could you could waste time. Oh, I see. In the world, and I don't know why that makes it feel more real, but it it does. You can just delay the story and go mow there's, grass. There's there's a for lot of minutes. really interesting side stuff in Ocarina of Time for for its period. I um, still don't know where Link went to the bathroom, but still. But they answer that question in Majora's Mask because oh, there they is do? there well not Link, but there is a literal toilet. That is part of a side quest. Uh, I don't remember this. So there's, I don't, there must be something uh, in Japanese pop culture that I just don't know because I see this happen all the time where there's a hand reaching up out of a toilet. Um, And this, this shows up in Zelda multiple times, but the first one that I remember it showing up in is, is Majora's Mask. And there is a hand asking for paper and one of the I kind of remember this. one of the quests you have to do is to find a source of paper and bring it to the hand. But as a result, there is a toilet, and it does exist. One for the whole town, but there is a toilet. Unpleasant in the inn. Well, that is that that does give you a little bit of insight into the lives of the people who lived in this world. One toilet, many people. So, you mentioned Wind Waker by accident. Oh yeah. Um. And, and we have lots of other Zelda games here listed in our notes. But I, I want to kind of jump ahead so that we can talk more about what's been going on here recently, which is you've been playing Zelda games with Miles. Miles being yes. our, our middle child who likes to do things together. And I think you started off playing Wind Waker. Is that right? That was the first Zelda game we played through. And we really played through... Well, you didn't play... You didn't finish it. Right. No, we we played through the 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 really well designed part of the game, and then fell off at the part you would expect in that game, where yeah. it just devolves into these 
dozens of tiny mini dungeons and lots and lots of sailing yeah. and it, as as perfect yeah. as that game is for our kids to watch when it just just the sailing part that can be meditative when you're doing it on your own but it is less so when you're watching someone else do it i can do it on my own either yeah. i fall off at the same point in that game every time yeah um but yeah you you played wind waker with him mm-hmm. and some skyward sword yes i played skyward sword like for one session and then declared it not not going to happen because yeah. i hate that game yeah we yeah We've talked about this before, but we we have we we were broken by Skyward Sword. That I think that's the first Zelda game that I had to be like this. I finished it. I finished it when we bought it, but it was bad. It, I did not like it. There's there's there are two things that I think are good in that game. Uh, one being, uh, uh, one being the stamina system at all, mm-hmm. which they wisely retained for Breath of the Wild, and the second. Uh, being the I, I forget what they call it, but there's there's a little repeated mini game thing uh, where it, it's the the kind of stand in the replacement for what's in Twilight Princess. There's the you have to get the little Twilight tears or whatever. There's something like that where you're being oh. chased by or there's there's like light and dark areas of the map. And you have to run from light area to light area. Are you liked that part? I, I yeah, uh, because it's high velocity and it takes advantage of the. That's the kind of thing I hate. Uh, well, okay, yeah, you, you you don't like the being chased and time mm. limited stuff, but uh, especially when compared to the the variant of it that preceded it in Twilight Princess. The Twilight Princess one is just a big pixel hunt, and you just get locked in a in an area until you find all of the tears. Or the bugs or whatever they mm-hmm. are and uh if you i think you can leave but if you leave it resets the whole thing and i hate that um but the it, it felt more like an active kinetic challenge in uh in skyward sword and now that i'm saying that there's only two things there are other good things in skyward you like sword the time mechanic. The, the time mechanic is cool the whole ocean desert thing is cool like there there are glimpses of good in it but uh in in general we're talking a little bit too briefly there's a cool a time mechanic in it where you have like a bubble of time travel with yeah you. there's time there's uh time uh time stones that, yeah. that you you activate through the dungeon and then later on find ones that you can move with you either through a mine cart or right. you eventually so get like, a ship that has one on it there's a field of time travel and so you can see the um the broken down, decrepit nature of things as they are, and then you also get this bubble of when things were were new and working, mm-hmm. going with you. And the puzzle is, you know, trying to uh, have be in the right portion of time yeah. in this very physical space kind of way. That's really unique. But one of the things that you and I talk a lot about in video games, and and frankly, a lot of media, uh, including t- uh, shows and, and movies is whether it demonstrates trust for the audience or not. Sure. And uh, um, I keep forgetting the name of the game. Skyward Sword. Thinks you're uh, an idiot. Yeah, it, it thinks that you are just a complete idiot. And clearly it's because they think that if you ever get confused, 
you will just stop playing the game and you won't like it and you'll turn it off. Why and did they think that? I, I, well, it's because it's on the Wii and the Wii had this huge mass market audience of people that hadn't played video games before. And oh. they thought that they could convert that audience of grandmas who bought the Wii to play bowling into people that, or they, they just didn't think about it. They saw that they had this huge audience market of people who had bought the Wii and they were trying to figure out how to translate that huge uh, install base um, into buyers of Zelda games. And it just, it, that's not the way it works. The, to, no. the, the Wii had two completely different audiences and they, they, they eventually figured it out and the Switch is like the perfect translation of that. Sure. Well, and I am aware of people who never would have played a Zelda game before the Switch playing Breath of the Wild because it was so good. It was that good yeah. that non-Zelda people tried it. You know the that they're friends of ours, they, all of them have a save in Breath of the Wild and play it. Oh, is that in true? Yes. I had no idea. That's I awesome. I had no idea. How have we not talked with them about Breath of the Wild? Marie just told me this. <laughs> she told me that Breath of the Wild was a huge time suck for I didn't her even family. know that they had a, a video I game system. I didn't either. She said, have you ever played Breath of the Wild? Oh, no, you shouldn't because it'll suck your life away and you'll be doing nothing else. Each one of us have that problem. We fight over who gets to play it. Oh, I was man. like, really? This is awesome. Yeah, I have played Breath of the Wild. I'm totally going to poke at them about this tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, do. <laughs> so so you worked to kind of exhaustion with Wind Waker. You worked to frustration with Skyward Sword. Um, what brought you to Twilight Princess next, and and uh, why why did you pick that one for the next one to try with Miles? Well, Ocarina of Time is um, I see it as mostly unplayable now in the form, at least the forms that we have available Which, to us. It, it breaks my heart because I I've tried to get Leo to play it, and he, Leo is just Leo gets hung up on old games. He doesn't yeah, want to play old games, I and, get and that. with the controls, I can at least get that. But um. So I probably have the most nostalgia for that game, but because of the state it's in, like I didn't really see it as an option. Um, we have played Breath of the Wild with the kids, and that's not really a game I want to try to play all the way through right now with Miles. They've seen a lot of it. But Twilight Princess, you know, as much as I think the Breath of the Wild is probably the best Zelda game, Twilight Princess was my Zelda. It was the first Zelda I played where I was really capable of going through it, where I wasn't just a little sister in the background watching my brother. And there were bits of Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask that were like too scary for me. I'm very sensitive and I can get hung up on things like not wanting to go through the dark dungeon with the Redeads. I think and that's more true in your kind of memorialized self-image than it is true today. I don't think those things would bother you. Yeah, well, I agree. And, you know, I've been through therapy for specific anxiety and uh, that kind of uh, so tense I throw controllers at TV screens kind of thing that I used to have. And so some of it is that that has left me. But I love, I love the way Twilight Princess looks. I love, there's this, like, all of the Zelda games try to have you be in community with the characters in it. They all do. I think Twilight Princess is the most successful at it. That you feel like you are part of a town. This little town has an actual identity where they actually know you. 
Link has a job. It really feels like leaving that town would be hard. So that's true. Link is more of an actual character in that game than maybe any of the others. I think so. They make him less of a blank everyman. All the other games, you're just itching to get away from where he is as fast as possible. Like, of course you want to the game to start in Twilight Princess. Um, but you really feel sad that he has to leave and um, anxious that he's, you know, the bunch of the kids from this community have been kidnapped and you want to track them down and bring them back. And the game doesn't let you do that quickly or right away. A, a lot of other Zelda games, like you get your quest in order, you do the quest, it's over. And that one kind of lingers through. You got to do a bunch of other stuff and they let you revisit the one quest of the character who loses her memory and is not in the town. Her thread of trying to 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 help her remember who she is and come back lasts through most of the game before you solve it is it intricately tied into the progression through the rest of the game or is it non-linearly just in parallel like can you go back and forth or do you have to progress it at certain points you have to progress it at certain points it is is tied to the progression of the game but in order to help her you have to ask for help from multiple sources and people who know each other outside of you um i find more of the personalities in this game memorable, not just Link and Zelda and possibly her bodyguard person. But I do remember lots of the other little side characters. They feel like they have lives and businesses that really go on without you. And um, that's what I was thinking of, that I just, I find this world compelling in a, a very storybook way. And the aesthetics, that kind of dreamy, hazy aesthetic that Twilight Princess manages to pull off, where it's it's certainly better than Ocarina of Time, but it's not as, as um, crazy good as Breath of the Wild yet, but it's it's also, like, I liked the well, It's not that, even really the same kind of game as Breath of the Wild. Sure, that, sure. That's a completely different I'm just game. talking about the aesthetics yeah. of the world. Okay, fair enough. And, you know, Wind Waker, I don't have a problem with Wind Waker as its own thing. I do like the way it looks, too. But I do find the the, the storybook aesthetic of, of Twilight Princess just, I don't know. It, it feels like mine. It feels the most like me, a game I would play. It It puts more of its effort into the way that things look and the atmosphere. And I don't even mean that it has like the best graphics ever, but the atmosphere is really good. The actual tone of the world is good. Yeah. I'll go with you there. I, I don't really like the way it looks, but part of that is because it it's going for a high fidelity look, unlike other Zeldas of the time, like, uh, um, like Wind Waker. Twilight Princess does not scale up well, so modern attempts to re-release it, in my opinion, look terrible. Whereas sure. the modern HD version of, of uh, Wind Waker looks great because it's cell shaded, simple, you know, high contrast color graphics just look simple enough to look good no matter how high you push the resolution. The textures in the HD remake of Twilight Princess just look wrong to me. Yeah, I don't want to do that. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that I still just played it on the Wii. Yeah. Twilight Princess is also the first Zelda 
that I sat down to play by myself in a real concerted way. You're talking about now or when you played it before? The, the first time I really tried to play it. Um, so yeah, I played it with Miles this time. But I have memories of being alone in that little office area in the dorms and all of that because I was I was playing it while I was working at the Bears um, training camp over the summer, the Chicago Bears. Um, and, you know, my job was to sit in a room by myself and answer the phone if it rang. Yeah. Even though it sounds exciting to work at the training camp, I didn't see anybody for hours, and I played that game. It was that and uh, Prince of Persia's Sands of Time. Um, which was also a great game. Yeah, excellent game. Don't get me wrong. We, we did go back and play. I had never played that game, and we went back and played that together Yeah, uh, pretty early on in our marriage. But that game still caused me lots of anxiety, and uh, Twilight Princess did not. Um, And it also, you know, someone tried to steal Twilight Princess and managed to steal only the game case which frankly is pretty rough I, I wish we had the case we have this loose copy of twilight princess i should look for a box only copy of twilight princess for gamecube on ebay or something sure and see if we can complete it but it still felt kind of fortuitous that they didn't manage to steal my actual game like they didn't steal the the important part because they didn't think to check for it in the system and there's just all this tiny little stuff around that game that makes it stick out in my mind and, you know, I think that's an important thing of a lot of media, of TV shows or books. Like, what were you doing at the time? And this is this game that I kept not beating, and I kept breaking out to try to beat it again. I have played that opening sequence with all the Twilight Tears, the worst part of the game, probably, like, ten times. So by the time I got to it with Miles this time, I was like, this part is terrible, but also I know where all of the things are. And that removes most of the pain <laughs> of that sequence, is that I remember where all the little light spiders are. When there's a portion of the game where you play as a wolf and you really have no ability to do anything except hunt and look for these little spider-looking bugs that you're supposed to... Well, it happens like three times, right? It happens three times. You're supposed to fill up a vessel to peel back the darkness eh, stuff and um it, those sequences can take a really long time and there isn't really a whole lot of puzzle solving or the things that make Zelda great it just feels like hunting for these things but i actually really appreciate those sequences when you remove the frustration when you, i when i already just knew where everything was because there's a real cool atmosphere thing and um all of the townspeople, you know, they can't see you. They're like ghosts. So you're sort of fly on the wall. You're having a fly on the wall experience where you're hearing what people are talking about and what they're worrying about. And they don't know that you're there. And that's actually pretty great. Like they're doing a lot of set dressing in those sequences. I think that's part of why it feels more personable and the characters feel more real. Because you it, get to see the characters mm -hmm. with more of their interiority, not just what yeah. they say to Link. And when they're scared and how they're reacting to crisis and you're not there, like what they do alone. And that that part actually is really interesting. So yeah, even though those sequences aren't that fun to play, I think they're valuable to the overall goal of that Zelda. Like that's part of why it's so striking. So I, I both love, so actually, first of all, I went back up. 
We're talking about this game because you finished it, and that's yes. notable. Um, I don't finish a lot of games, <laughs> but and and you know you finished a Zelda game and you were, you were pretty excited and it was cool that you you know pressed through it and you were using the excuse of the fact that Miles wanted to play it with you and was excited to play it with you and it was a thing that you and he were doing, but it, you clearly wanted to be playing it also. It wasn't just a thing yeah. you were doing for him. In fact, we had dinner late several nights because you had lost track of time playing Zelda until 8 p.m. or something like that. But um, is is that just happenstance or is this the one that you would want to talk about regardless of the fact that you happened to have finished it? Or are those, you know, those are convergent truths that you finished this one because it is the one that you would want to talk about? Oh, totally. Convergent truths. I, I mean... There's a whole lot of stuff that goes into why this game took me 15 years to finish and why I don't usually finish games. Like that's, it's notable when it happens. There's just a handful of games that I have finished. I, I do occasionally. And we have, of course, finished games together, but yes. that's a different thing. Yeah, playing through them together where we're taking turns and you're a little bit more committed than I am, it helps me. But, you know, I... Even I, then, there's usually a phase where you kind of fall off of it because you kind of get it yeah. and you're done and you're not interested in the mechanics of it anymore. The only one that I can think of that, well, The Witness really held us right up to the end. Oh, yeah. And uh, Puzzles and, get me. And Valkyria Chronicles really held us oh, both yeah. right up to the end. That was really good. Puzzles and certain kinds of strategy. Story isn't always an, enough. In fact, yeah. story often isn't enough. Because the... the because the the end of a video game story isn't always the best part of it anyway, so who cares? Like, you, you probably there there's usually some kind of thematic climax before the actual go and fight the big bad, and there might be a big gap there at the end too, where there's a lot of mechanical stuff to do that doesn't hold as much interest for the person that's not sure. actually doing it. And some of it is that we've talked about, you know, personally, I predict stories really well. I, automatically if, if i think i know how something's going to end i'm usually right i'm very happy when i'm surprised when someone does something surprising but a lot of video game stories are really really rote because they don't have to be super creative the important part is doing it yourself so they can kind of sometimes be a little bit lazy especially in some games like zelda or mario where they have the same formula the same basic stuff is going to happen you're going to rescue the princess whatever um the story isn't enough. I need some reason to stay. And, you know, we've talked about how sometimes mechanics, really good mechanics will keep me. Puzzles usually keep me better. If I find puzzles really, really riveting, I will stay, which is part of why Miss Games work so well for me, is I really want to solve all of the puzzles. Even if I know how the story is going to end, it doesn't mean I know how all the puzzles get solved. And Well, in a game like that also just feels like you finish it at the pace at which your mind finishes it. As yeah. opposed to there being any nonsense that you just have. There's no, okay, I've figured it out. I don't want to do any more of it. There's nothing right. left to, to do once you figure it out in a game like that. Yeah. I There's a certain like sweet spot of novelty and intellectual rigor that just, you know, I used to be really hard on myself for not finishing games. And I've just kind of accepted that like, if what I get out of games that's most enjoyable is not always finishing them, then maybe it doesn't have to be finishing them, you know? Um, so when a, a game convinces me it is worth uh, putting in that effort, like that's 
significant. Mm-hmm. At least it at least points to something about my values. And I don't always know how to describe my values to other people or even to know what I value myself. And something I've learned over time is that I need to examine my own actions. What are my own actions telling me that I value? And I can agree with people right and left about what media is good or what is worth playing or seeing um, because I, I empathize with other people's arguments very quickly. Like, oh, yeah, I can see how you're saying that. I know what the critics say about this. That's rational. But if I want to know what I think about something, I have to look at what have I actually spent time with? What do I finish? And sometimes that answer is embarrassing to me, like what I actually like, because I know it's not what other people would like. Um, and I'm sad that that's the way I think sometimes. But uh, you know, clearly, I really, really love Twilight Princess, even if not everybody thinks it's as great as I do. It's the one that I finished. So that that kind of segues into a detail of the timeline here that I skipped over. It's in our notes. Um, mm-hmm. But how we acquired this game, each of us separately. And so I'd like to start with you. you. You've talked about this before, but how did you come into possession of Twilight Princess in the first place? Because you've talked about it being your Zelda, the first one that was yours that you played on your own. But I there's bought more it. to it than that. I bought it. It is one of the And very... not just it. You. I bought a GameCube so that I could play this game. I think My... you said you like got it secondhand or something. I got it secondhand on eBay. Um, so it was much more acquirable. Yeah. than other uh, gaming systems have been in the past. It was it was old by that point. But I had realized that, um, you know, my brother wasn't going to come home from college for summer anymore, and there really weren't any breaks to just watch him play a game. And then I didn't want to let that one this one go. I really wanted to have Twilight Princess in my life, even though it seemed like the days of watching my brother play games was well and truly over. Because, you know, that, that was a big period of history in my life was I I vicariously experienced games of watching my brother play them and I might get to try them if I thought they were something I would really like when he was you know taking a break from playing and that's how I played games most of the time when I was younger it was in between my brother playing games and in between watching him and I wanted to keep playing Twilight Princess by myself yeah and that was significant and and it was also owning that video gaming was my hobby too, which was something that I was quite reticent to do. I, I was already called a bit of a tomboy by my parents and I never loved that. And I knew that, you know, video games were were part of that. So I always kept it kind of distant from myself. I didn't I never told my friends that I played video games. Like I wasn't gonna bring that up. I already had an enough feelings about being an outsider is like I don't need to tell people that I love this world or I exist in any way I can pretend it's just my brother's hobby and this was the first time that I stepped out and said no I really do play video games enough to spend the money and the time by myself so for me it was less of a a new like I had already gone through that of deciding you know that there's there's an alternate universe where I give up on video games at a certain point, probably around college, or at least Nintendo-ish type games. We played some computer stuff in college uh, together, but like my friends and I. Uh, but I always I always had to play Zelda. I always wanted to play the Zelda game, and so uh, I was that annoying guy who was calling the GameStop 
literally every day, maybe multiple times a day to find out if they had gotten in a stock of Wii's because the Wii was the Tickle Me Elmo of the year of the thing that everyone had to have uh, for Christmas and there was no stock anywhere. And, you know, one one day, like two weeks into my daily uh, mission, uh, I called and they had them and I drove over to the GameStop that was nearby and walked out with a Wii and it was great. Um, and I played that thing at college uh, for the remainder of the semester. I specifically remember, so you were playing it on GameCube, I was playing it on Wii. Mm-hmm. and Which means they were mirrors of each other, well, which is that's funny. That's also true. Yeah. Yeah. That whole thing is weird. Uh, but the, the Wii puts all of the uh, sword sound effects through the controller. And so I was playing that game with headphones and did not know that my like I was making noise in the room, keeping mm-hmm. my roommates up because all the sword slashes and, and armor hits and things were still coming out of the, the speaker on the controller. That's funny. One of them came out and complained at me, you know, lightheartedly, but still. Uh, but the, the weird thing to me, so like I, I took that system home for Christmas. I It was kind of the last big, you know, I am a big dumb kid playing a video game over Christmas break experience, mm-hmm. I think, that I had um, that, that we then realized cannot be replicated once you have children because they have needs that don't go away. Um, but that, that whole period is weird for me because that is that same, uh, that's that same period where mom was sick and where yeah. she eventually died, uh, like right around there. And I was just in such denial that I was still just, you know, pretending like I was a kid playing a video game and didn't have any other cares going on that christmas yeah and i i wonder how much of like i i literally brought the wii to her hospital room to show it to her because i thought it was interesting and she would want to see it we i Mm. I had rented a copy of trauma center and oh yeah and mom was a nurse and so i thought that she would think that was interesting um but in retrospect i i don't know like how much that was just straight up i hadn't had that level like i was still that immature and how much of it was uh just me falling into the denial and using that to not acknowledge what was going on in my real life i mean when things are in crisis we lean harder into familiarity and things that let us feel nostalgia or young or like and that game was that yeah that game is the hey you liked zelda here is some more zelda nostalgia hit you know what i think twilight princess was for me in a lot of ways was it felt like i could never play ocarina of princess for ocarina of princess Princess. (laughs) i could never play ocarina of time for so many reasons by the time i probably could have played it like yeah it had aged and i didn't have the n64 isaac had it i didn't i didn't have access to that game twilight princess was my chance to play that game and they're not exactly the same and i would even say twilight princess isn't as timeless although hyrule field is way bigger yeah and yeah the i think the graphics have survived a little bit better but 
Um, that's because we still have a Wii. Oh, it definitely has survived better than than yeah. Ocarina of Time has. Yeah, and th- there is a nostalgia in that game that I'm just I- I'm not bitter toward or spiteful or you know it doesn't make me feel bad. Like I like it because I like it. <laughs> So if the game is, like you said, it's, I've talked about it as kind of the the nostalgia game and Mm -hmm. you've described it, I think similarly though, though perhaps less cynically as the, the game you could play because you didn't get to play Ocarina of Time. It's, it's your version of that. Um, I, I have accused this game in the past of lacking soul. Uh, or having an identity of its own and that it is just like a better ocarina of time in practically every way except for that it is not as much a leap it is it is not as much better than ocarina of time as ocarina of time was to uh mm-hmm. link to the past so it doesn't feel as timeless in that sense um but i i understand that you you have thoughts on this and you disagree with me. Well, I kind of already expressed them a little bit, but my main thinking was this feeling of community and in an ocarina of time, you're a forest dwelling dude with other forest dwelling peoples. And I guess you're supposed to feel part of that community, but well, no, you're not. You're, you're specifically supposed to feel ostracized. Like you're an outsider. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, the, the first thing Twilight Princess does is you're not an outsider at all. Like, the fact that this Hero of Time stuff falls into your lap, it's like Link only accepts it because he's trying to save his community. Right. Like, it, it, there is no outsider status. There is no, he was always trying to leave. He doesn't feel like an itchy adventurer. And it doesn't even feel like he, this particular permutation of Link would have just gone and been an adventurer after that. It really feels like he would take off the uniform and go back to being a goat farmer when it was all over. That all of the people were still there. His community was still there. They still loved him. Most of Twilight Princess is about how the people in his community and his friends grew. Link is still kind of the same guy. He's going to go back to goat herding and all these people around him have changed and gotten better and gotten braver. They even make a point about how one of the kids that he helps um, has become brave and a hero and is learning sword skills. And he really seems like he's going to be the the person to step up to that role after Link. And that's, you know, that's interesting to me. That, that And you have that little kid in their town who becomes a business owner like he was just this annoying uh the little sumo kid, kid. the little yeah he's yeah. so weird looking does he own the item shop is that yeah. what happens okay 
And not only does he own the item shop, but he works with people in Castletown to make improvements to the city. He helps build a bridge. He helps make trade routes between different shops. Like he's a little entrepreneur. In ways that affect the mechanics of the game. Yes. Yeah, that's cool. Yes. And it... uh, the it the the town people don't just make a really have a relationship with you they have real relationships with other people that affect the game in tangible ways like important ways building bridges and making life better for each other and there's actually like a fundraising campaign to accomplish some things uh, run by that little kid um where you're you're not the one doing it you're asked to contribute you actually just raise money for other people to do it right and that feels it's so mundane but it's so how that kind of thing would actually work and it makes it feel like a real place um i think that game puts a lot more into atmosphere i mean there's atmosphere in all of those Zelda games don't get me wrong but there's something particular about it like we were watching that video about the dungeon design and twilight princess and i can appreciate that the dungeons are mechanically if you really sit down with them a little bit repetitive a little bit simple i can't deny that the bosses were easy that there is a part of why that game is playable to me because i could beat the bosses in one go and i am not a i do not want to you don't want to play it over and over again no because i get bored so i don't find repeat experiences rewarding and i'm not good at twitch mechanics or really difficult um things that require a lot of coordination from me where I have to do it again and again and again until I get it. Like, this is not how I play games. I get it that that's a weird thing for a gamer to say. That's not how I play games. I want to have the experience one time, maybe twice, if there's just something little that I needed to figure out. I don't want to hardcore have to go at it. So I didn't mind the easy bosses. But through all of this, like, the dungeons have real personality they their visuals are so good like even if the puzzles aren't that difficult the concepts of what's going on in the dungeons like the different elevators the magnetic boots that stick you to the ceiling even that stupid spinny disc thing which i admit is not as um utilizable as i wish it was where you ride around in the disc and you mostly need tracks i kept finding weird ways to use that later on in the game where you could break it out and surprisingly defeat some enemies easier if you went at them with it so i have historically hated that thing as the you know until skyward sword the worst example of nintendo just creating single-use items that don't matter um i i think that they were so close to a really good idea with it and i didn't see what they what i think they should have done until i was watching you play it this time that Zelda has always, all the way back to the first game, had those kind of spike traps that move when you get close to them, or in later mm-hmm. Zeldas that are just kind of on a track and moving. And I really think that they should have leaned into that item being one of those, and that uh, you would see those things on those tracks all through the game. And then once you get that item, you can utilize the tracks that they're on to get to places instead of making the tracks be a completely unique mechanic. It does let you do that. It lets you use the same tracks yeah. with a spike track? Okay. And you have to jump back and forth between tracks to avoid them when they're mm. coming towards you. 
maybe it could have done more, but it is quite a bit of it. But the the part of it that I'm focusing on is there. I there's no moment where you go back to other places that you've been and get to utilize the tracks mm. in other parts of the world to get to to new places. It it feels like it really only exists within that one dungeon. I think that's true. Yeah, it does feel like it. It wants you to return to the dungeons. And they could have done that. On the other hand, I really had no desire to go back to dungeons. But, <laughs> you know, enough. that's that's how I play games. Where yeah. I'm like, oh, there's a treasure chest that I could get with an additional item later on. It's probably only got a rupee in it. And I don't care, yeah. it turns out. So I'm right there with you with, like, the world building thematic stuff, especially in the dungeon design. I mean, we've, uh, the the call out example for me is the Snowpeak Temple. Um, I have a very strong memory of playing the game for the first time and beating whatever dungeon comes right before that. I don't remember what it is. Uh, and thinking, man, I don't really feel in the mood to play another Zelda dungeon right now. But I'll, I'll at least get to it and I'll figure out, like I'll see what the next thing is. And the Snowpeak Temple is just so thematically different from any other Zelda dungeon. It just feels like you're in a place that just happens to have dungeon objectives in it. And it was exactly mm. the right moment to do that, for my experience anyway, that I I was exhausted with, okay, we're going to lock you in a place now and you're just going to be in this dungeon for a while. It wasn't that at all. It was now you're in this house with this lady who's talking to you throughout mm-hmm. your time there. And her husband's making soup in the other room. Yeah, oh, that's right. He's not, I, yeah, I was thinking that and he was can, somehow absent, but they're just both there. You can bring him items to upgrade the soup until it's like a... Because she's sick legitimate and he's potion. making soup for her. Yeah. That's right. Well, and, you know, the dungeon design guy that you showed me his video, he was talking That's about... Mark Brown. How, yeah, yeah. He talked about how he didn't understand why people like that dungeon and that she gives you directions to the rooms. I was like, no, no, no. Like, normally I'd be with you that I don't like a game telling me where things are. But that makes it feel like you are legitimately visiting someone's just home. Just in their house, yeah. He that's does... what that's for. And I got lost so many times trying to get to where she told you to go anyway that it, I, it didn't matter. He does admit later that when he uh, remembers those dungeons in their full context and not just analyzing them from a game design perspective that they're better than he was giving them credit for. But yeah, that that in particular is like, oh man, I loved that one even though it it's not complicated at all from a design perspective. I didn't even mind the block puzzle in that one because it's got one block you can't move because it's covered in ice. Yeah, I think and it's need, easy. So It's easy. You don't waste time on it. And you need the dungeon's item to really finish the puzzle. And so there's a bit of an right, excitement. Right, because you have to get... That's right. Yeah. I see what you're saying now. There's a block of ice that you have to destroy with the big ball and right. chain. Yeah. That, that block puzzle is a really early room. So you spend a lot of playtime just waiting to, to have the thing that allows you to go f- solve that puzzle. Because you can see how to solve it. It's not hard. You just don't have everything you need. And, you know, that's something that Zelda ex- excels at, getting you excited for what you will be able to do in the future. So in, in my defense with the lacking of soul or personality that I kind of have always felt that this game, that, that it lacks... That, I think that really comes on two fronts. One is that, so there, there was a whole contingent of angry gamer people who hated Wind Waker, not because of how it falls apart in the last act, but because 
the graphics were lame and for babies and were Zelda and all of this. And I always loved the way that game looked. And so for me, as much as Twilight Princess looks fine, especially looked fine then, um, I was disappointed that it represented a giving in to like Wind Waker looks unlike any other previous Zelda and it was bold and interesting and Twilight Princess feels like a concession and okay we'll just do the cynical thing that people say that they want we'll give you what you think you want of swinging a Wiimote around and it will make a sword slash and we'll give you something that looks realistic instead of something that looks timeless and interesting. But I don't think that's even what happened because they kept making those games. It's just Wind Waker games became the handheld games and they made a whole line of them. It was like this alternate timeline. Yeah, but part of, of that Zelda. is because the, the, the DS games or the, the DS system was kind of seen as the four kids handheld that you but buy them. still, in. Nintendo valued the property. They just figured out who they could sell it to. And then... Like, that makes sense to me. The other thing that I still haven't really figured out completely why I feel this way, but I don't like the wolf mechanic, but it's not because you turn into a wolf. I think it's because it's weirdly and nonsensically mixed together uh, with the twilight mechanic and that they're trying to have two worlds and also you turn into a wolf and sometimes you only turn into a wolf when you're kind of in the twilight, but then later on you can just turn into a wolf whenever. And I kind of wish that those two mechanics weren't mixed in together at all. Because I think they, I, I really like when Zelda does the two world stuff. I loved Link to the Past, of course. Mm -hmm. And I think the two timeline stuff in Ocarina of Time works really, really well too. But the, the two world stuff in this game does not work, in my opinion, because it's not the rules of it are not well defined. Yeah, and, and the Twilight stuff is kind of limited. There is no part of the game where you can just enter the Twilight version of any part of the game. Right. It doesn't happen. Yeah. Me meanwhile, and, and what parts of the game are just in Twilight are just, it's just dark. And then you clear it and you're no longer in Twilight. I, it, I, I much would rather it just be, this is the Zelda where you can turn into a wolf. And that's all there is to it. Because uh, I, I agree with you, the parts where you're a wolf and you can hear other people's conversations and you, you get to know the characters better as a result, I think that's pretty cool. And I hadn't thought of it yeah. quite that way before. They could have really fleshed out the Twilight part and made it more complete and added. It made it a, you can experience any part of the world this way, anytime, you know, later on. And... In instead of having these set pieces to yeah. experience it. And that would have been really cool. But speaking of the Twilight Realm, and we couldn't just remove the titular part of the game from the game because we haven't talked at all about what I think we're agreed is the absolute best part of this game, which is the Midna character. Do you, yeah. Or do you agree with that? You, yes. Uh, okay. Tell me why you think that, because I think we're probably just agreed. But why? who is Midna? Midna is the sidekick in Twilight Princess. She is there to um, ask for help if you need it. And, you know, she's, she's a part of the story. And she is the first Zelda sidekick, probably the only one that is likable. Oh, man, is she the only one? Because I mean, Navi's annoying. Tattle is mostly not even there. 
Um, I guess I haven't played absolutely every Zelda game. The, well, the, the, not all of them have them. Yeah. Uh, so the 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 closest thing in Twilight, or, or, sorry, in Wind Waker is the boat, and the boat is cool. Uh, boat the, is the King okay. of Red Lions is is a cool idea, but he's not ever present, so he doesn't quite feel the same because he's only there when you're sailing. Right. He's he's um, he's not for the whole game. And then I don't. And then after after this one is the sword. Uh, what what's her name in uh, Fee? It, Fee and Fee <laughs> just destroys the entire concept because she's, she's awful. The, the worst part of that game. I still maintain that the only way to save the game would have been to make her the enemy and then let you yeah. kill her at the end. Well, to to forever imprison her and basically to uh to do what they ended up doing in Solo, a Star Wars story, and give a backstory to there's a consciousness imprisoned in the ship. We were wanting to find out that. Uh, that Fee is evil and is forever imprisoned in the Master Sword and that every time in the future when Link has used the Master Sword, she's just there imprisoned in the sword. Yeah, something like that. It, it, she was just so bad. So bad. I mean, we all thought Navi was annoying. I guess I've never played the Minish Cap, so I don't know how that is. Um, I mean, the, the Minish Cap's... That's fair. He's kind of annoying, but not in a not in a game breaking way. It's in like I I felt like it was thematically appropriate. It's Does just, he add to the story? He is a character in the story, yeah, similar to it, Midna. Okay. In any case, Midna is interesting, and she's a lot of media tries to pull off the snarky sidekick, and she's successful at it. She's legitimately rude but also effective it she's just really well written well also legitimately rude but also affectionate yeah she's a she's an actually interesting character she has her she has her own goals that are not the same as yours and that's part of what makes her interesting right is that she decides that you guys can work together but she's really not interested in just doing what you want especially at first she has stuff she wants to accomplish and is using you, basically. So they don't even try to set her up as this totally wonderful and good thing for you. They make her antagonistic, which is actually way more compelling. Well, it's actually kind of like you and your entire world are the antagonist in her story. Yeah. And, and, and she is uh, she is trying to hijack your mission to to fix her world because to her, you're part of the problem. Yeah, and, and that's her actual story is interesting. She's an actual character with an actual history. And, you know, Navi and Fee don't really have that at yeah. the same level. Um, I love that she, at least for the first part of the game where you meet her, she rides on your back and is actually like kicking you and being physically aggressive. Um, she still helps you too. Like they make her physically helpful. She's not just an informative. She's got that weird like hand power in the twilight. Oh, helps right. You beat yeah. certain monsters. She helps you get to um, ledges as a wolf, you wouldn't otherwise be able to get to. That part's mostly just annoying because it's basically a quick time event. I wish that the ways that she was integrated into the world exploration were more tactile and you less still just have wait to, for the button to appear. You still have to find the places where she offers yeah. assistance. It's not terrible. But 
the fact that she is actually helpful, physically helpful, makes you more appreciative of her. Like sometimes her advice is just as randomly useless as some of the other helpers, but well, but her attitude helps write it off as her as part of her personality instead of a a translation deficit or a writing problem. Yeah, she's not patronizing at all. She doesn't feel like the game designer's patronizing you. When she's patronizing yeah. you, it feels like a character patronizing Link, not the oh, game. Oh, she's condescending, yeah. not patronizing. Fair enough, yeah. Totally condescending. She is not trying to make you feel good. It never feels like she's trying to make you feel good. And the other characters can be ridiculously, you know, suggesting that you're an idiot, but like they're helpful, very good mother who only want the best for you. And that's just the worst. Right. And even though this is not my favorite Zelda game, where my favorite Zelda game is and may forever be um Link's Awakening. I feel pretty secure saying that this is my favorite Zelda ending. Yeah. Um in, in the post credits scene that Midna's departure is the most interestingly impactful thing in any Zelda game. Like single event. Yeah, and you know, she becomes this beautiful but still odd-looking Twilight Realm character. Right, because for most of the game, virtually all she's the game, a she's imp. a little imp. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah, this yeah. little weird-looking yellow-eyed imp, and she's still got the yellow eyes, but when she's, you know, when she's been fully restored, she's this kind of gorgeous statuesque princess. She's a, a Twilight mirror to, to uh, Zelda. To yeah, Zelda. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, at the end, where... She says, you know, with this mirror here, we could still communicate sometimes. And then she breaks it on purpose so that you can't ever again. It's really, really interesting. It's got a level of ambiguity in terms of characters' motivations. Yeah. That she seems genuinely not present in any other Zelda game. And it. I really, really enjoyed. So I, I was afraid that I was going to miss the ending when you were playing it. Uh, but I didn't. I was very pleased that after it happened, Miles was like sitting there trying to figure out what had just happened and was talking through it mm-hmm. and asking questions about it. And that really pleased me mm-hmm. that there was more to it. There was more to think about, more questions about why things played out the way that they did. I wouldn't say that that's the only part of the ending that's cool. Like, there's also a little set piece in the final dungeon where all of these community people who've been helping you reach all the locations show up and kill a horde of bad guys that just seems too much. They come up with extra cannons and stuff and kill a big group of bad guys. It was a cutscene, right? Yeah, and yeah. they usher you through. I do not remember that. To a door you need to get to. And like they just, the characters don't just fall off and then never matter again. They keep mattering. Right. It's uh, Link to the Past does that in its credits where the the people that you help in the game just show up at the end in the credits scene. It's cool that they bake it into the story. They do. And the final dungeon that they got their resources together and fought their way into the castle to help you. Like Mm -hmm. it's a small thing. Sure. But it's another part that makes 
the side characters feel more real. Um, and yeah, I don't, I mean, there's, there's further stuff in the cutscene at the end too, that it really does seem to suggest that Link is just going to go back to being a goat herd, which I love. So any other moments in the game that stand out to you? Oh yeah, I I was just kind of thinking through the dungeons because of that video showed me about the dungeon design and had this realization that you know I, I mentioned that I didn't really notice that the dungeon design was relatively simple um, because they would do unique things. Like in the desert temple, there's a ghost hunt at the beginning where you have to smell out the ghosts as the wolf, which is cool. The smell mechanic as, uh, as the wolf is actually It's, it's right. underutilized. It's a cool idea. But you can smell the wool, the, the ghosts, and track them down to their rooms. And the way that the desert temple is set up is... Um, it felt more like they'd, they'd have these small set pieces in other Zelda games. Like it was just a mini dungeon or something to go get something. I thought it was just... A, a mini dungeon to get what you needed before the mirror room. It didn't feel set up like a full dungeon to me. And they have that ghost thing at the beginning where there's three ghosts you got to find. So I really thought that it was just going to be this mini haunted thing where you find the three ghosts. And then it, the, the dungeon goes far past the three ghosts and it, it has far more puzzles past that. That's just the opening part. And I, I definitely had a moment where I was like, Oh, this is a full dungeon. Mm-hmm. This isn't just the ghosts. And I was just seeing it as this like haunted house in the desert with a few puzzles before you get to the mirror room. And stuff like that happened a lot where you're just so into what's happening and the set pieces. And like the forest temple where you're rescuing monkeys. Like, yeah, the temple itself might be simple, but there's something going on above and beyond the dungeon. There always seemed to be something like that. That that distracted you from what was a very functional level design beneath what they prioritized, which was the atmosphere and the storytelling. And I can really appreciate that. If like your priority is other things, then yeah, find a dungeon design that works so well you don't notice it. I really don't mind that. Well, you're you're talking about that. That blurry line, because historically Zelda has had those two kinds of things, especially in Ocarina of Time, where there's like the size of a full dungeon and you learn to just kind of intuit what that feels like, what it feels like Mm -hmm. to be in a full Zelda dungeon. But then there's little side things that are going to be a tiny little mini dungeon in between those often. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think the, the only one of those that I recognize from Ocarina of Time is the Spirit Temple where it feels like it's just going to go down into this well and there will be a tiny little mini dungeon and it expands out into the full thing. Uh, Twilight Princess does that a lot. We talked about Snow Peak. I didn't mm-hmm. remember the desert thing, but it, it sounds to me like it's that, that mm-hmm. same kind of thing. Oh, this is the dungeon. That's what they tried to do even more and just took too far in Skyward Sword in that really that game has twice as many dungeons as it feels like it does because the game design treats the space around the dungeon like its own dungeon but something about the way that that space is constructed doesn't feel like a dungeon it feels like an impediment to getting to the dungeon 
And it's it's interesting how how right on the edge that is. Because when it was pointed out to me, I was like, oh, that that's obvious. Of course, that's what they're doing. There are two dungeons here, not just one. Um, but yeah, it just it didn't work for me there. Whereas I'm right on board with you. The the dungeon design in in from a thematic standpoint is is nigh on perfect in Twilight Princess. Yeah, I mean they have some mechanic in each one that's totally unique, like the water temple having the staircase that turns and um, the sky temple. I I couldn't even recognize how like simple it might have been because there's so much verticality to yeah, it. Yeah, the Sky Temple is like a weird surrealist dream. Like I I think of it in uh like I relate it to Monty Python sketches and mm. uh and like the Yellow Submarine movie and that kind of crazy otherworldly space that doesn't make any sense. Because it's got those crazy weird birds in it too, right? And they're running a shop at the beginning. Yeah. They have like a town center where they sell you things at the beginning. They, they, I think they go out of their way to make dungeons feel like not just separate spaces in Twilight Princess. Like they're integrated into something that already exists. Yep. The Forest Temple is probably the closest to just feeling like this ancient separate thing, which is also the first one. Right? Yes, it's the yeah. first one, and it's got the monkeys. Yeah, but like. The the Goron's temple, I think this might be true with all the Goron's temples. They might all be pretty similar, but it's it's a working place that the Gorons have just cleared out of because of a problem. So it's a little it's a, separate, mine. but it's an active yeah. mine that normally would have Gorons in it. And then um, Twilight Princess really just kind of took off into making the dungeons feel more and more like real places that were used, like... Snow Peak being a house that that has recognizable rooms with functions and a person who's telling you where they are and trying to help you find keys and there's a kitchen where someone's making soup. Like um I'm trying to remember some of the other temples if I'm forgetting any. I think it's the most real feeling Hyrule Castle dungeon in any of them. That it really just feels like the castle. There's yeah big courtyard areas to run through and and beat guys that feels pretty realistic it's so long since i've played it because i've played like you just said the beginning of the game multiple times and i i've played it through once when it first came out but i've i've never played hyrule castle the final dungeon more than the one time that i beat it so i don't have any strong memory of it it also has the twilight set pieces at the very beginning of the game where you're a wolf trying to escape the dungeons of Hyrule Castle and you somehow end up on the rooftops. And, you know, I didn't even think about whether or not those feel like they actually could be the same place. Um, oh, the, yeah. Whether it feels like you're returning to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I expect that it is. It seems like an obvious thing to that it would be bad if it weren't the same place. It might, but the first is the dungeons and the rooftop, which are not a part of the final dungeon, okay. so you don't really think about it. But at the same time, it has made Hyrule feel like a real place the whole time. Yeah. Like you escaped from there. You saw soldiers crouching down in fear in the twilight. You, you visit Zelda secretly before she tells you to run. Like, just... Lots of little things that, that make the spaces seem like real utilized places. And I think that's something I've always valued in games. I don't like it when a dungeon feels like this 
set apart set piece that no one would ever use. Yeah. thing about this game that I am kind of surprised that I forgot to put in the notes until we were talking. Mm-hmm. And that is Okami. Oh, Okami. And this game came out right around the same time, or I think it came out just after Okami came out. Mm-hmm. Another game that prominently features a wolf running around in an open world uh, exterior environment. Which in itself wouldn't be so bad. The, the animation's pretty similar. The The feel of the wolf is somewhat similar to me. Yeah. But the, the real thing that makes me go, huh, is that you are attacked by enemies that you fight in a circle in a weird, fiery, you know, alternate surrealistic mm-hmm. view. And I just don't know what to do with that. Like, I've heard stories about... One of them saw uh, or was friends with like people in the development team knew each other and one of them saw work that the other was doing and the one that that it was Zelda that started first but then Okami came out first or maybe it was the other way around. I don't know. The sidekicks are even kind of similar between the two. That's right, because mm-hmm. uh, the I- Kikichiro or something like yeah. that in in uh, Okami is is kind of a jerk and irreverent. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Midna is not as sexually suggestive as which I appreciate <laughs> as the character in. It uh, gets uncomfortable. Okami. yeah, he's he's kind of a lech. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. I have in the past looked down on that similarity as Nintendo ripping off Clover. Um, but it's it's probably not as stark as that. Like there's lots of history of this kind of thing happening. It's probably more of a ants plus a bug's life or Armageddon plus deep impact situation where for some inexplicable cultural reason, there was a convergence of of co uh co-creation um where two different teams did the same thing uh, our cat is sleeping next to me and dreaming about catching things she is twitching she's twitching sorry um yeah and at the time i remember feeling when we first started talking about that like there was some kind of a ripoff but while there's some set pc things that are the same the spirit and the atmosphere of the games are quite different um Okami is so, so, I don't know, Japanese. It, it, it's centered on Japanese culture yeah. and tradition in a way that Zelda is not, even though it, it's obviously coming out of Japan and is a thing that came from Japan. It's it's not as focused in that. I cannot, cannot beat Okami. I can't sit. It's so long. It just keeps going. It's the so game repetitive. isn't so long, but it's just got so much talking in it. The it's characters so will talking. not shut up. But it takes a long time to accomplish the set pieces. They're yeah. simple, but it's just it is long. Yeah, they did not edit Inokami. They, their editing skills were terrible. 
The paintbrush stuff is just kind of okay where you're, you paint mechanics with the Wii. It's a neat idea, but it gets repetitive. It gets repetitive. It it's not work. like there is a Wii version. I was playing it for PS2. It, oh, it, right. You have to do it with the control. It's actually originally too. meant to be done that way. And I found that fiddly and not always that pleasant. Yeah. It's a cool idea. It's interesting. But the battle mechanic. Although I will say, I'd rather do that than waggle sword fight in Twilight Princess. Mm, maybe. I I played it on the GameCube. So no, you played it on... I know, but originally I played it on the GameCube. Sure. So by the time I got to the Wii, like, it yeah, just... Yeah, yeah. No, that, I'm, I'm right there with you. The GameCube is good, but the... Um... I just wasn't thinking about it yeah. because I didn't see that as central to what right. it was. You clearly don't have to do that to play it. That's just the version we sure. had. Um, The battle mechanic that the two of them share, of like the circle that you fight the weird dudes in, um, it's so uninteresting and so repetitive. In both cases. In both cases, but Twilight Princess has far less of it. Yeah. Okami is all Every that. single battle is that. And it doesn't Okami. feel interesting or like it requires a lot of skill. You, I just wanted it to go away. And there is no other kind of battle in that game. Except just, for the boss fights. The boss fights in Okami are good. Sure, but over and over and over and over again. And, I, you know... I was so glad that those were just small set pieces that you only have to endure a handful of times in Twilight Princess. So ultimately, the wolf feels kind of random in Twilight Princess in some ways, but I don't know. I think the gameplay is better than Okami, even though maybe the art style in Okami is, yeah. is better. I, I've asked you this at the end of previous podcasts where we talk about a game that you played and enjoyed, but do you see another game on your horizon? Anything that you're looking forward to playing or hoping to play next? I am going to beat Luigi's Mansion. Oh, that's right. We're playing Luigi's Mansion Because I find it incredibly cute. Yeah. And it doesn't seem too long. Yeah. So it actually... I think we're probably at least halfway through it. It has a real chance of me actually beating it. Yep. How about um, after that? Well, I was going to watch you play... Um, what is that game? Uh, Elden Ring. Elden Ring. That we've been talking about. And maybe it's weird to look forward to watching someone else play a game. Because that is absolutely the kind of game that I still don't think I can I can play. That it's a little too intense. If you if you don't like fighting the same boss over and over, you probably should yeah. not play Elden Ring. Yeah. But I like I haven't played it yet, but that is a, a very strong part of my engagement with the Souls series in general. So probably. Are you like seasons where you're playing something like that? And I might have a book or a project in the background to do for when you are in the really repetitive portions of play. Cause I do get bored with it. You with you doing it too and stressed out where I just, I don't want to be like, I want you to beat them this time. So I don't ever have to watch this again. I have to distract myself a little bit, but uh, this can be nice. We need to finish spirit fair. Spirit fair pyre. There's a bunch of leftover games going yeah. on that I've been in this intermediate time, uh, trying to go back and clean up a little bit. but Yeah, we need to do some of that. All right. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk. I am I'm glad that you got to finish the Zelda game. I, again, you were really happy when it happened, so I me was too. glad to, to see you finish it. It's meaningful to me. I feel like it, 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 it matters. Well, we'll look and see what we're playing next and uh, see if we're able to distill any of that into another conversation in the future until then uh this has been game older i'm jonathan and i'm andy and thanks for listening
ウィリモコンの遊び方例えば釣り We.